Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back, fellow optimists. It's Sofia Tapia here again, your host on the Future Positive Podcast, a podcast from XPRIZE that aims to bring you the most future-forward topics from the world's brightest minds. If you're new to Future Positive, in each episode, you'll hear from world leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are paving the way for innovation on and off this planet we call home. This week, we take you on a time-traveling adventure into the past, present, and future of carbon capture. As the NRG COSIA X Prize comes to its dramatic end this week, we take a look at how the industry of carbon capture and utilization has evolved and where its future lies. Journalist Amelia Abraham takes us on a voyage of discovery and interviews our own world leaders of carbon tech. First, Mike Leach guides us on a whistle-stop tour of carbon tech history. Then Nikki Batchelor gives us the scoop on where the tech is now. And finally, James Burbridge lets us gaze into the future on how this technology is going to explode. So sit tight, put your phone on silent, and get ready to take off. Over to you, Amelia. So hi, Mike. Thank you for talking to us today about the past of carbon capture. Uh, I've got a couple of questions for you about what that looks like. But first, I wondered, could you introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure, thanks. Um, my name is Mike Leach. I am the technical lead for the NRG COSIA Carbon X Prize. Great, thank you. Um, and to start with, a question that might, to you at least, sound a little bit simple, but it, it doesn't to me, for instance, which is, in its purest form, what actually is carbon? That's a great question. Um, carbon is, uh, it's an element and it is, um, the building block of almost all life on the planet earth. And what's the difference between carbon and CO2 or carbon dioxide for those of us who aren't quite so up to speed on our science? So carbon dioxide is, uh, is a molecule which consists of one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms. So whereas carbon... Uh, in its purest form, is just carbon atoms. Carbon dioxide is um, is a is an entirely different molecule, and uh, carbon dioxide is actually a gas. It's colorless, tasteless, odorless. It's non-toxic, and it's inert. But the problem is when you release it into the atmosphere, too much of it, like we're talking billions and billions of tons of it, 
it actually becomes one of the key drivers of climate change. Right. And so there's a lot of carbon in the atmosphere. And what we're talking about here is carbon tech, which is technology that, as I understand, can help us remove carbon. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Well, the um, the idea that too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere could be a very bad thing is a is a very old concept, but it's become uh, it's become very acute in the last few years as um, scientists have really um, have really come together around the idea that man-made carbon dioxide emissions are a significant contributor to climate change. So the whole carbon dioxide management industry is around trying to trying to figure out how we can emit less carbon dioxide and in some cases also remove the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere that's already been emitted. Mm. And we hear this term carbon capture and utilization a lot. Could you just quickly explain that for us? Right. So one of our options for managing our carbon dioxide emissions is uh, is trying to capture that CO2 before it hits the atmosphere. And it should be said that carbon dioxide is is largely created by humans burning things. It's the byproduct of combustion. And when you when you burn something like natural gas, it produces heat and it produces carbon dioxide. And that's the same as if you burn anything, you know, whether that's coal or wood or or oil or anything that you like. So the idea behind carbon capture utilization is can we, rather than venting that CO2 into the air, um, where it where it mixes in with the atmosphere, can we capture it before it's released and then do something with it? And in the case of utilization, our objective is to do something useful with it. So turning that carbon dioxide into materials or into chemicals that can be that can be useful and in fact quite valuable. Great, thank you for that explanation. I guess since you're here to talk about carbon capture past, the ghost of carbon capture past, as it were. Uh, I, I wondered how long has it been possible to turn captured carbon into products? How long has that kind of technology been around? Well, the idea of um, first capturing carbon dioxide, it's been around for a long time. You know, uh, people, engineers and scientists have been figuring out ways to separate uh, mixtures of gases into their separate components and, and kind of purify those components since, you know, at least the middle of the 19th century. In fact, the technology that's, that's used to uh, capture carbon on an industrial scale was really largely developed in the middle of the 20th century, in the 1970s and 1980s. The first flue gas scrubbers were designed to take sulfur oxides and nitrogen oxides out of flue gas, which were at the time a big problem because they caused acid rain. And as those technologies were implemented and scaled up, you know, we had a lot less acid rain. And, uh, but, but at that same time, there's always been an interest in CO2. The issue just hasn't been as acute as it is today. So right now we're seeing a real drive to try and scale up similar types of technologies that are specifically designed to capture the CO2 out of flue gas, um, in addition to some of those other components. Good. Thank you for that super clear explanation. I suppose one thing that comes to mind for me is five years ago, we really hadn't heard of this term and now it's becoming a little bit more common. Do you think much has changed, particularly over the last five years? And do you think that Carbon X Prize has played a part in that? Yeah, well, I sure hope that the Carbon X Prize has played a big part in it. Um, the world has changed a whole lot in the last five years. And uh, one of the most remarkable things that 
that I've noticed is that when the Carbon X Prize launched, people weren't talking about this. You know, there was there's lots of discussion about global warming and the causes of global warming and climate change. There were efforts at that time to manage carbon, including carbon capture. But the idea of converting that carbon into products was just kind of a cute idea. And, you know, people didn't really take the idea seriously that that the idea of utilizing carbon dioxide and converting carbon dioxide into valuable products was really going to be a reasonable long-term and scalable solution to the uh, to the carbon issues and what we've seen in the last five years is uh, lots of development of new technologies and lots of scientific study that's shown that in fact carbon dioxide utilization could play a significant role in decarbonizing our economy and um, reducing our carbon emissions overall. Um, but not only that, there's a significant market that could create a lot of wealth in the process. So by using that carbon dioxide as a feedstock to create valuable materials, the, the idea is that is that there's an economic incentive to um, to actually reduce carbon emissions. And uh, and so that conversation has really scaled up over the last five years. You know, I hope that we had a small part to play in it. Um, but what I can say is the folks who participated in the Carbon X Prize were really among uh, the leaders in carbon dioxide utilization technology and really trying to push those technologies to a greater scale and a, and a greater maturity. Great. Thank you so much. We're going to hear from Nikki in a sec, I think, about what those teams have been doing five years later. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks a lot. Well, hi, Nikki. Thank you for talking to us today about carbon capture in the present tense. Before we go into that, I wondered, please, could you just tell us a little bit more about what you do at XPRIZE? Sure. I am the Director of Operations and Impact for the NRG COSIA Carbon X Prize. My role is really to keep the train on the tracks. I think about kind of the long picture of running a program here and what does it mean to really have an impact on the topic that we're working on. Amazing. Thank you. So I spoke to Mike, who gave me a rundown of the history of carbon, uh, a kind of introduction and a bit of a, an update on the past five years of the prize. My first question for you would be, uh, what are some of the products that people are making, the teams in the competition have been making out of carbon? Yeah, so everything around you is pretty much made of carbon. And most of those things can be made from recycled CO2 emissions. So everything from plastic to fuel, building materials like concrete, even drywall, and then things you eat and drink like protein and vodka, which you would never think of having from CO2 emissions, but you actually can turn all of that stuff into usable products that people can enjoy every day. That's super interesting. I had no idea that you could make vodka out of carbon, but there you go. Uh, so actually, just to go into a little bit more detail, um, what's the kind of technology that these finalists are working on? And where in the world do they come from? Yeah, so we have 10 finalists in the Carbon X Prize right now, and they are making all kinds of different things. Um, we have a couple of companies working on concrete and building materials like Carbon Cure out of Halifax and Carbon Built out of UCLA and Los Angeles and Carbon Capture Machine in Aberdeen, Scotland. And then we have other teams who are making things like chemicals and fuels. So we have teams like CERT out of the University of Toronto, Dimensional Energy out of Ithaca, New York, and then Air Company, who is making vodka that I mentioned earlier out of Brooklyn. 
And um, even a team from Bangalore, India, Breathe, who's making methanol that you can use for all kinds of things. And then kind of the third category of teams and products is really around advanced materials like carbon nanotubes and nanoparticles, which are super interesting because they add a lot of strength to things that we use all the time, like concrete and plastic. Um, we have teams coming from Suzhou, China, like C4X. We have a team out of Calgary called Carbon Upcycling Technologies. And then we have Carbon Corp out of Washington, uh, George Washington University in the D.C. area, all focusing on advanced materials. Right. This all sounds quite advanced. Where are we actually at in the stage of carbon capture and utilization technology? I mean, it, it, the conversation's quite new, as Mike pointed out. Um, but are we still in the embryonic stages or is, or is this quite advanced? Yeah, so XPRIZE has been actually trying to work on tracking the growth of this industry since we launched the prize back in 2015 because it was so early then, there wasn't a lot of market research that really was available to people to understand kind of what was happening and the state of affairs. So we launched an initiative called the Circular Carbon Network, where we look at kind of the growth of new startups in the space, how many innovators there are, what their companies are focusing on, how much investment is coming into the space to kind of get a sense of where things are going and how they're growing from year to year. One of the things that we have really been tracking is the growth of startups. The CCN Innovator Index is something that we have compiled a list of all of the startups working on carbon tech around the world. And we have over 330 companies now from 27 countries that are working in this space. And 62% of them have actually been founded since 2010. So that gives you a good picture of kind of how much growth we've seen just in the last decade. So I wouldn't say that we're still in the embryonic stage, but you can definitely see there has been a rapid increase in growth. And we're really seeing that accelerate now at, in 2020 because people are just really interested in the topic. And we're starting to get interest from big companies, corporates like Microsoft and Mitsubishi, people who are really trying to look at their own carbon problems and think about how they can get to their own net zero commitments. That's really going to help us scale the space to a much larger place. Yeah, that seems like a big area of opportunity. And it's great to hear that these companies are taking an interest. I wondered, what do you think general public awareness is like five years on from launch? I mean, if this came up in conversation at a dinner party, do you think most people would have heard of it? But yeah, how much public awareness is there? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I mean, from our perspective, we've seen a huge increase in kind of awareness and understanding. But I think there is still, you know, a lot of learning to be done from the general public side of things. I think what we're seeing right now is people kind of coming down a learning curve, really, that started with you know, the scientists and the nerds who are really deep in the mix of trying to understand like how the technology works. And then we're seeing, you know, investors and companies that might be able to be adopters of these things start to understand it, which is starting to trickle into kind of mainstream media articles where we're starting to see references to things like carbon tech and carbon utilization. Back in 2018, we actually did an interesting survey of the landscape to try and understand how people were talking about it, because you often see with new technologies, there is kind of a, a word soup that people are struggling with in the early stages of adoption, where there are a lot of different technical terms being used to describe something, and sometimes that is an impediment to 
kind of general understanding from the public. When we did that survey back in 2018, we saw that people were still using words like carbon capture and utilization, carbon to value, carbon valorization even, which is a little bit more popular in Europe, but definitely was a losing term on our survey in terms of relatability. So we started kind of coalescing around the idea of carbon tech as something that might be relatable to other kind of technology uh, growth areas that we've seen and clean tech really took off. And so we thought that maybe carbon tech would be a new way for people to kind of wrap their minds around it. And we've really been starting to see that terminology kind of play out in articles and, you know, common speech. I think there is definitely a way to go, but we have seen some good progress since 2015. That's fascinating to hear about the work you've done to shape the language. Do you think this is talked enough in climate change conversations or do we need to see more of that? I think we're seeing this topic definitely grow in the context of larger climate conversations. I think that there is definitely a growing kind of agreement that carbon tech and carbon utilization are an important part of the climate change portfolio and it's going to really be important in decarbonizing some of the hard to abate sectors. So we're going to see kind of new interest and adoption from um, industries such as concrete and steel making, which are just going to be very hard to reduce their carbon footprints without things like carbon capture. So as that understanding grows and as we continue to struggle to meet our climate goals, um, I think we're going to see more interest and adoption on this topic, even though maybe it's a little bit harder to understand than renewable energy per se, which I think most normal people are familiar now with solar energy. But hopefully in the next few years, we will see that same level of familiarity really around carbon capture and carbon tech. And my final question for you is, in terms of these teams that you've talked us through who are a part of the competition, um, what are some of the biggest constraints or challenges that these innovators tend to face today? The biggest challenge that we are really seeing with new startups in this space is access to capital. And I think one of the things that makes carbon tech different than, you know, software tech and that whole universe in Silicon Valley is that it is incredibly capital intensive to build things related to energy and industrial systems. So we just know that companies need to raise a large amount of money in order to build a physical plant that can, you know, capture carbon and convert it into different things. So the biggest kind of predictors here of the of the success of the industry is going to be around investors getting more involved and companies coming in for strategic partnerships and adoption of the technology. One of the things that we saw from the Circular Carbon Network um, research around investors is Companies have raised about $2 billion to date, um, but there is so much money in the clean tech investment world that is still kind of being deployed to other areas. And so we're going to need to see some of that money shift into carbon tech so that these early stage companies can really get the money they need to get validation in their idea and start building their next scale plants, which are really what we need to tackle the climate problem in mass. Amazing. Thank you so much for explaining that, Nikki. I'm going to catch up with James next about the future of carbon tech. 
Hi, James. Thank you for joining us. So I've spoken to Mike on Carbon Capture's past and Nikki about Carbon Capture's present. We're here to talk about the future. But first, could you possibly introduce yourself for us? Sure. Uh, my name is James Burbridge. I project manage on the Carbon X Prize and I do uh, analysis on the Carbon Removal Prize. So as I mentioned, Nikki's filled me in on where we're at with the prize. We're about to announce the winners, which is exciting. I was wondering, do you foresee the imminent explosion of this technology or is it actually going to take a bit of a while before it takes off or, or really comes to market? I don't know if I would use the word imminent, but we're seeing so much interest that what that didn't exist five years ago, that it feels very close. Um, the types of people who are now interested in these technologies uh, are the exact people that can marshal the resources to really kick this industry into high gear. I believe, again, imminent just feels a bit too near term. Uh, and it's hard to pinpoint that exact tipping point. But again, the right people are interested. I think the right resources, they control the right resources. So it does feel like we're very, very close. Got you. And I heard from Nikki a little bit that uh, some of the challenges that might be facing the industry in terms of scale or growth. I wondered, uh, what's your opinion on that? What challenges do you think we face? The conversations we've had with, again, a number of these these interested parties, um, different people who are very keen to to see carbon tech take off. You know, the challenges are, A, it's still a very new technology. There's still things that people want to understand before they incorporate them into their supply chains. I think the, the status quo is very well understood and we've been doing it for so many years. We know exactly how it works and we've, we've made it very cheap. And I think that's the second challenge is, is that cost parity element. Uh, I think those are the two major kind of roadblocks keeping us from that, that tipping point that, these, these new technologies, these new materials that are at the cutting edge of, of, of the carbon technology scene, they are more expensive than the incumbents. And they do take some a bit more understanding to incorporate them in the supply chain. So I think those are the two biggest challenges. And once we clear those, then I think we're really off to the races. Cool. And for someone who, like me, the everyman or woman, as you will, um, I know that there are a couple of sort of carbon products on the market you know I've seen things like carbon vodka or sunglasses made out of carbon um I think I even saw a, a watch you could buy online that was was made out of recycled carbon right um over the next five maybe even 10 years how much more common do you think this will become it's an exciting piece of uh of the conversation because I I think we're going to see a lot more the carbon x prize has made it part of our mission to put products in front of people to show them what you can actually make out of these materials. So it's a lot of concrete, it's alcohols, it's, uh, it's different types of plastics, but we're really trying to push the boundaries of like, what else can you make out of these materials? I mean, those are very commonly used materials. They can go into a lot of things. So maybe we start seeing it in furniture. You hear people talking about that. Concrete furniture is an attractive thing for, for some people. And I think that would be an easy thing for those materials to fit into. Different types of toys, I think collector's items. I think you could see different spirits uh, maybe maybe start to be made out of these these really radical advanced materials. I mean, I kind of think there is no limit to what these materials can go into. And so then it's just a matter of 
you know, how, how far can you like expand your imagination and start to think about, you know, what can be replaced and, you know, the desk I'm sitting at, the chair I'm sitting in, the, the cup I'm drinking from, all of these things could be made from these materials. So I think it's super exciting. And uh, I think we're constantly thinking about different partnerships, different cool products that we could be maybe prototyping to show people that potential. Yeah, for sure. And it feels like, as well as reducing carbon emissions for companies, whatever the industry, it, to be actually creating products made out of recycled carbon is, is another way to show consumers that they're engaging with this technology. Yeah, exactly. The way people think about consumerism, where you put your dollar speaks to the values that you want, you know, your, the companies you support to, uh, to show. I think the premise of this whole thing is that younger consumers are more interested in these products. They are interested in supporting companies that do these things. Companies know that. Companies are very front and center now about convincing people that they're taking this seriously. And I think as we move forward, these companies are going to have to do more. And it's going to be giving people products that actually do carbon removal that are low carbon or zero carbon products. Um, because I think this, this kind of very active, younger generation of consumers will demand it. And we, we, you already see it in all of the headlines across all of the social media channels that they, this is important. They elect politicians based on this and they will buy products based on this. And once you figure out those two roadblocks we talked about earlier about once they're at cost parity, I think it will be, this will be the new status quo. How do you make a zero carbon product? I, I believe will become a status quo kind of objective of companies in the future. Right. And we hear about this industry having the potential to be a trillion dollar industry. Is that true? Do you, do you feel that way? And how long would that take? I don't know if, if I... If I could pinpoint the time, I think I would be working somewhere else and be a lot richer than I am. But I do believe that it's, it's totally within reach. Uh, just looking at the industries that these carbon tech companies and what they're trying to do, the industries they're trying to disrupt are trillions of dollars themselves. So if we look at the fuels industry, fuels industry is kind of estimated between four and five trillion dollars globally in annual revenue alone. Um, how much of the carbon tech companies, can they take a bite out of that? That's a, that's a huge market. I mean, even if they take 10% of that market towards, towards zero carbon fuels, um, jet fuel is, is constantly talked about as like, that is the holy grail for some of these, these companies. Um, it is a monstrous market, concrete building materials, plastics. We make tons of this stuff and they are huge, huge markets globally. So I think trillion dollars is, is totally within reach. And I mean, it's not just us saying this. Um, Carbon 180 has done some great work on this. They think it's a trillion dollars alone in the US, globally about $5 trillion. So I think if you ask me in five years, it could be a very different conversation when we're saying we've reached a trillion dollars. How do we get to $5 trillion? How does this become one of the biggest markets in the world? I think that is not a ludicrous conversation to be thinking about in the future. Right. And the reason we're sitting here, though, of course, talking about this is the wider context, which is 
the positive impact this can have on the climate in the future. You know, that's why we want this investment and we, why we want this industry to grow. Uh, what kind of positive impacts do you think we can expect to see short term and long term when we're talking about climate? From carbon tech specifically, it takes so many different forms. And I think it's so far reaching. I think it can be very impactful. If we think about carbon tech companies that can reduce emissions and, and, and actually get us to zero emission products and companies, that is one of the most pressing issues we face today is, is actually becoming and making good on these net zero promises. And I think a lot of the carbon tech companies now could deliver on that and, and provide some like seriously good solutions to do that. When we're talking about climate tech companies that are embedding CO2 into materials, these are your, your concretes, the building material industry, that's another great tool for these companies to work on another angle of the, the kind of climate existential question that we're facing. At the end of the day, we are going to need a bunch of solutions and they're going to have to come from a bunch of different angles. Everyone uses the term, we need a thousand shots on goal to, you know, I guess get the one in. Um, and that's, I think it's a great analogy for this. We need a bunch of different solutions and carbon tech. If we can harness the power of the commercial forces, that's a really powerful tool for this carbon tech to like lash itself to and really drive huge amounts of impact over the next 10, 20, 50 years. And what about individuals? How can individuals get involved as opposed to businesses or companies? If, or even if we just wanted to know more about it. It goes back to what we were saying earlier about how you spend your money, how you spend your time. All of these things are signals to companies that these things matter. So if you, every time you choose to purchase a zero carbon product over the standard cheaper product or or whatever that is a signal that company like oh i need to pay more attention to this and i need to do more so where you spend your time where where are you directing all of your your search traffic what are your searches saying are they saying zero carbon yada yada or are they just looking for the yada yada um it's funny because all of these companies track all of these things and they tell them this is important Politicians do the same thing. They, they know what's important to their constituency. And if the constituency thinks that zero carbon and negative carbon and carbon tech priorities are important to those constituents, they will absolutely follow suit and change their platforms to accommodate that. So I think as an individual, you just make it, you have to make a decision like how important is this to me and what can I do? I can spend my money here. I can go to these websites, I can attend these events, I can, there's a bunch of different things from an individual perspective that they don't feel really big on the individual basis, but aggregated, they can be huge. And my final question for you is, what should we be most excited about in terms of the next 10 years of carbon capture and utilization? Since I've started working on this project, and understanding the potential that these, these companies, these technologies, these materials and where they can fit, it's kind of opened my eyes to everything around me. You know, could that be made from a zero carbon material? And the answer is yes. Like ultimately, as long as it's not made out of metal, 
it could be replaced with a zero carbon material. And I find that really, really exciting to think about how my interests and my priorities can now be reflected in the things that I buy. So I buy collectibles. Now they can be made from better materials. I like fashion. Everything I buy now could be made from a better material that's, that actually demonstrates the kind of climate positive attributes that I want, um, which is great. Um, these are some of the things that we as a team talk about a lot and think about. And, we're, and we look for ways to, to kind of harness what are you personally interested in? And then how do we put carbon negative materials or carbon tech into those things. Um, that's what interests me. That's what excites me. And I think that there's a really long, exciting road ahead of us to see like what actually bears fruit there. Amazing. Thank you so much, James. Thanks for listening to this Future Positive podcast. If you'd like to support our show, share this episode with fellow futurist friends, and remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Your feedback really does help. If you want to find out more about the $20 million NRG Cosia Carbon X Prize, like who the winners are, then head over to carbon.xprize.org. This podcast comes from XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people in rising, delivering radical breakthroughs for the benefit of humanity. Sign up to join us and support the movement that is making a change in the world 10 times faster. Whether it's lending a hand, a dollar, or an idea, we all have a role to play in making the future a better place. The only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. Learn more at xprize.org. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.